The Connecticut Music Oral History Podcast is a deep dive interview series with musicians, artists, conduits, collectors, and dedicated fans, focusing on 20th century Connecticut music history. This project preserves narratives, heralds unsung movers and shakers, and defines Connecticut's influential role in cultural history. I'm your host, Brendan Toller. I'm an artist, a musician, a filmmaker, and marketing manager of the incredible Verso Studios at the Westport Library, where this very podcast is being produced. Verso Studios is a media resource and production hub, serving as an inclusive, empowered, future-forward cultural and learning center. A library branch of the 21st century, Verso Studios provides programming, commercial services, as well as educational and content creation opportunities. We have a state-of-the-art hybrid analog recording studio designed in part by Rob Fraboni, the same guy who built Keith Richards' home studio down the road. We record bands, artists, audiobooks, podcasts, and everything in between. We have video production suites, classes, and events. Check us out at the Verso Studios website and on social media. On this episode, I sat down with Rick Allison, a central and towering Connecticut music figure, both literally at six foot four and figuratively. Rick has been a radio DJ at an alphabet soup of stations, including WYBC, WKCI, WPLR, WHCN, KPIG, WPIX, Sirius Satellite Radio, and CygnusRadio.com. Rick has also been an announcer for ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, HBO, and a bushel of commercial clients. For 29 years, Rick has also been the co-host of the local band show on WPLR New Haven and CygnusRadio.com. The local band show is the longest-running radio program showcasing the wealth of local musical talent in Connecticut. Rick can also be heard every weekday morning from 10 a.m. to noon on the Allison Transmission on CygnusRadio.com. I was so excited to hear Rick's story, and it definitely shows. Here's a vintage Rick Allison radio air check, followed by our conversation. Ah, it's a Sunday. <laughs> a little ahead of myself there. What just happened? I just got ahead of myself. Let me try it again. It's no. a Sunday. Oh. It doesn't work as good without the percussion oh, stuff. No, that's right. Everything seems just a little bit off, doesn't it? I'm a little out of kilter. Yeah. Out of whack. Unfocused. So like Groundhog Day, days, politically speaking. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Allison's my name. That's Velvet over there. This is local bands. That's right. That's good. I can hang on to that. Uh, um, we're uh, a local music show on PLR. We're sponsored by two of the finest oh, local yeah. sponsors uh, a show could have. You Richard's that, Corner man. Gourmet Deli. In Hamden, Connecticut. Great food. And G Guitars in New Haven, Connecticut. Great guitars, etc. And we'll tell you more. And then, of course, the main thing, of course, is we play, uh, you know, local music. Oh. Yeah, like this. This is the smirk. USA Network proudly presents... Yes, epic tale of a crazed beast and the whale who haunted him. You can't miss Moby Dick. Because every kid's a magnet for germs and every pan's a magnet for grease. There's new Dawn antibacterial. White diamonds. The intriguing fragrance from Elizabeth Taylor. For eight-hour relief of high fever, Children's Motrin is the pediatrician's new choice. Kellogg's Corn Pops, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, and Kellogg's Frosted Mini Wheats Bite Size. The snacks you've been searching for. It's that time of year again. That time of year when Bob's has a sale so amazing, it can only happen once every 12 months. It's Bob's Store's anniversary sale. HDH. Count on it for sparkling clean water all summer long. Night falls. Adventure calls. We are gargoyles. We live, we soar, we fight. We are gargoyles, protectors of the night. Yeah, I 
could include a bunch of air check stuff from other people I was with, but let me just say this in closing. 99 Rock, WPLR, New Haven. So what is it you want to know? All right, Rick. Hi. How did this all start? Which? Today? Well, I woke up. <laughs> Not today. I walked down to the... What? What's oh. your first musical memory? Where are you from? Syracuse, New York, sir. Um, and most of my musical memories around Syracuse have to do with listening to an AM station called WOLF. It was, I mean, given my history that would follow um, in radio, it was what we would now call a toilet. Um, in that, you know, the guys were ill-paid. And um, it was a stepping stone, but it was like, it was like that very first stone leading to the actual stepping stone. Stepping stone. But it was the. Oh, were they having fun? I mean, what was it like? Oh hell yeah! Oh, what were had, they playing early rock and roll? We're talking about like when I was listening, because I, 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 you know, I grew up. Um, I'm uh, 73, so I mean, I was in that lucky group of people that that got, you know, the not. I mean, we were listening to the Beach Boys and stuff like that, and all of a sudden the British Invasion happened. But you know, they would announce. We've got a new double-sided smash from the Beatles, and we're going to play it at six o'clock tonight. And you know, I mean, that that kind of thing. Yeah. And the station was in within um, bicycle range of my house. It was a couple miles or so. I used to write notes to the disc jockeys and you know all that really goofy ass. Would stuff. they write back? No, of course not. <laughs> Get that nerd out of here to hell. But Syracuse University is in Syracuse. A coincidence, perhaps. Um, and they had a great broadcast school, still do have a great broadcast school. Um, and so a lot of folks coming out of SU went to WLF, then NDR, then KBW, and New York, and, you know. So, but that was my first active music. What cemented it, though? Was it like seeing the Beatles on TV? Was it... Nah. Having arguments about about James Brown with my mother, who was very upset at James for some reason I couldn't figure out at the time. Um, Might have been the hair. I'm not sure. But, you know, um, I remember seeing Elvis, his first performance, um, and that caused some stir in the family. Um, What did your parents do? Mom was a teacher, kindergarten teacher for life. Dad was a salesman. Um, an independent contractor who's, and this does sort of tie into my background, sort of uh, was always looking for the new thing. And he was the first guy to sell dock bumpers. It, <laughs> Those are big now, man. He'd be, they uh, were huge. Uh, uh. Unfortunately, they, that, that portion uh, of, the, of the thing eluded Dad. Um, that was fine. Um, what else? Oh, uh, Michelin tires. We were the, I, Dad and I went to the New York State Fair, which was also in Syracuse. Um, we had the first radial tire display in uh, in New York State at the so he was he was always he was looking for new stuff and uh, and like I said and, you know uh, the reflectors in the highway right in the middle yeah. to keep the cars from veering another one of his products <laughs> just as a salesman he yeah, didn't create yeah. them but he, right, but he, he just had this eye it's the hype man yeah, yeah exactly and my first radio experience was actual live on the air radio experience. Um, was with a thing called um, High School News Bowl in Syracuse. High School News Bowl was basically a current events show, and you know if if you weren't playing basketball or football, and you were good at current events, 
I was actually doing both, but I mean, I was good at current events and I hadn't, didn't have any CTE at the time. Um, so, you know, but it was at the studio with the morning man, Deacon Doubleday, and he had his own studio, uh, a studio that eventually moved to the state fairgrounds. I don't know if it still exists, but it, it was the most amazing altar of radio excellence, had honkers and beepers and horns and player pianos and every everything you could imagine all the toys and stuff he did the the uh um sort of the the uh, what did he call it the milkman's matinee that was it so he was up at four o'clock and doing his his live show and that just seared into my brain and i said oh i want to do that so that's that was my radio start and you knew you wanted to do radio. You didn't. You 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 assumed you couldn't be a performer, or did you try? Did you ever play an instrument? You know, or... I played trombone. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, I mean, at that point, I, I it was way too early for ska, <laughs> I, and and it was actually a little early for Tower of Power. Right. Um. Yeah. So I could have. I I I was pretty good up through college, but I not really. You know, playing other people's music was really more what I was interested in, and talking. I like talking. Mm-hmm. Um, about the music, you know. So I mean, that was that was kind of the deal, um, and then you know, the whole that whole war thing got in the way, sort of you know. So I moved away from any thoughts. I I would did a pirate radio station in high school, mm. um, and uh, then I had to end the war. So I worked on that for a while, uh, and then after going that, to demonstrations, organizing stuff like that. Or well, it was uh, yeah, a little bit deeper than that, and uh, and 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 then. I ended up in New Haven for my alternate service because I told them, you know, I wasn't going to go. Uh, and But then again, I wasn't going to Canada. And um, they were going to have to deal with me. Why not put me to work? So I found a gig at a place called the Children's Center in Hamden. And I worked there for three years, three and a half years. And then went to Southern and and, and got back into radio. Yeah, a lot of the guys I know, like the... Uh... They would have parties to say, well, you know, how can we get out of this thing? And what do we say? Do we say we're gay or we're not good with a gun? Or do we make <laughs> they, ourselves they sick you. before? By the way, they'll teach you but how to you be good with a gun. But you did a very um, kind of respectable thing, I guess. We tried to be respectable about yeah. it. I mean, I, no, I think, listen, listen. I, my, 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 my view is that every young American citizen ought to do some service to the country, period. And if that's the military, that's good, fine. I mean, that's not something I wanted to do then. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about the Coast Guard because they teach you how to fly choppers. And uh, yeah. um, so, you know, but it was just a thing to do. I was also an organizer against the war, so it would have been inappropriate for me to be telling people how to, you know, how to approach this thing and then not man up. Mm-hmm. So, And my English teacher in Syracuse, both at the high school and uh, and at the college level, was a guy named Jerry Berrigan. His brother, Daniel, uh, we, we had two brothers, both of them Jesuit priests. Both of them had a habit of getting arrested on a regular basis, and both of them were uh, the typical feisty Jesuit anti-war types who, you know, climb over the fences at nuclear joints and pour blood on the bombs and stuff. You know, uh, they wrote my first note to the draft board. Um, that was not not taken well by the draft board. Mm. So then I went to Vista, did Vista for a while, came back, and uh, and they finally, I 
they forgot about the letter. I didn't tell them about the letter, and uh, I w- ended up at the Children's Center. So you obviously were attuned. What was the radio scene when you were at the Children's Center? Came here and uh, immediately found WHCN. It was the first progressive station in the state. Um, real good. And and a lot of the people from HCN uh, came from WIBC, the Yale station. It was a source of a lot of disc jockeys. Um, and that, w- that was just, I mean, so both YBC and, and HCN were absolutely critical to my, you know, my interest in progressive radio. It was, it was great. It was marvelous. And that's because I, I would assume like you know, DJ personalities, uh, things they were playing, kind no, of format. It was, or... it was the bulletin board that all of the notes that were important to our life were posted at. There was nothing else. That's right. You know, so we didn't, you know, and f- as far as the counterculture was concerned, that's where you went to find out what was happening, whether it was arts or protest or whatever. Um, you know, and, and it was absolutely essential. Um, well, because I think, a lot of uh, people my age or younger people, they forget that radio really served the region then. I mean, even when you were involved in it, you know, yeah. which we'll get to. But, oh, you know, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, and, and on top of that, and one of the things I noticed uh, declining over the years was the fact that each region had its own music, had its own voices. I mean, you, you, if, you, if you hitchhiked across the country, like I did a couple of times, you heard a lot of different Sounds right. a lot of different music, and then when a band we were talking about N- NRBQ off off mic, when NRBQ pop up on a on a on a, a, a Colorado radio station, you say, "Wow, you've heard of them," you know, and it was somebody's favorite, or maybe they were, you know, they they'd moved here from Connecticut, there from Connecticut, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean that whole the whole fact that you could experience the wonderful colors of the country. And they weren't all homogenized. Was special, and it's another thing people are missing out on these days. But yeah, you know. So where do you crack in? How how does you know? Well, you're, okay. at, you're after, at the children's center. After what, I finished yeah, my yeah. my duties there, I was there for three and a half years. Um, then I went to Southern. They had a nice little carrier current station. I said I wanted. I I remembered I wanted to do radio. It seemed like a good gig. Um, and so, uh, they were just moving at Southern. It was still Southern Connecticut State College at the time. They were just moving from a rhetoric department to a communications department. And I had gotten my first job on the air at KC 101, changing tapes overnight up on the mountain. What what was your time slot? Oh, midnight to six. Yeah. But it was, you know, just on the weekends. Yeah. It was just, you know, and and the station itself was right next to the transmitter. So I'm sure that had some, you know, <laughs> impact on my brainwaves. Um, and from there, I got my first, uh, well, from there I went to YBC because a lot of the kids at Southern, when the Yaleys were away, could work uh, in the summertime at YBC and be paid because YBC was a commercial station, a commercial free-form college radio station, one of a wow. few. Um, and when the Yaleys were away, the jocks, I was paid a dollar an hour on the air and a dollar fifty an hour to clean up the station. So they had things in perspective. It was perfect. Um, and, you know, and so there it's, a, you know, it's like with bands, for instance. It's a matter of like 
recording yourself. They're called air checks in, in radio. And trying and listening and trying to get better, trying not to say that stupid thing again, trying to pronounce the name right, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I set a tape to um, PLR and got a job at PLR doing a combination of news and fill-in. And the morning guy, Bob Dark, my mentor at that point, I don't know, management had said something that pissed him off. Uh, and he left an off. Uh, and I took over the morning show with absolutely no clue at all what that meant. How old were you then? Well, I was relatively old because I'm, I mean, I'm younger than I was now. But um, <laughs> I would, uh, let's see, we're talking about, I have to do the math, the ciphering and stuff like that. Uh, mid-20s. Yeah. So I was, you know, I, I was old enough to know better mm-hmm. if I had any kind of history. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any kind of history, so I didn't know better. So I was fired fairly quickly um, for a cause. I wasn't ready for the gig. Uh, and it was, it was scarring, absolutely scarring, because you're a radio guy. You know, you've why, got a why were you fired? You just didn't have the material. You want to know the or real you, story? Yeah, 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 yeah dude. That's why re- we're here. Rick. The yeah. real story? <laughs> the guy that hired me, uh, a guy named Ronnie Berger, um, uh, was let go. And there was talk at the radio station about hiring this fellow, Barry Grant, to be program director. One of my friends, Joe from Chicago, Joe Piazic, um, sort of got the group together and said, you know, we'd, we'd rather not have Barry. Uh, we'd rather have Jay Crawford. He was the, the first program director, one of the first program directors. Let's get him back. And let's, let's go to the owner's house and uh, have a meeting with him. I told you I was clueless. So pretty much everybody, without any sense, went to the owner's house. He was just getting back from Florida. A couple of people, same people who ended up remaining employed, uh, did not attend. But but Joe and I were dispatched shortly thereafter. Um, and Barry Grant came. And it would have been okay. I could have worked with Barry. It was, you know, I didn't know how things worked. I was just a naif. I was, it was... I didn't know. So. Like you said before, all my mistakes were ahead of me. <laughs> oh, God. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, it's precious. Right? You know, come on. How else do you learn? How else do you find your path? How else do you? Yeah, how, how else do you remember the lessons unless they really sting? And so when I all of a sudden was not a radio guy, well, then what am I? I, you know. Well, what were you? I mean, well, I immediately yeah. scurried back to YBC <laughs> okay. and became a radio guy at the college level again uh-huh. until I got a job at a station called WCCC. Again, knowing what we know now, a toilet. And uh, and that was for a little. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Brian, I'm sorry. Dude, if you're listening, I'm sorry. It was a toilet, though. So I was an oh, Whatever. Anyhow, um, turns out one of the things I learned. Radio and music are two separate things. Oh, break that down. What do you mean by that? They're not the same. What do you mean by that? Radio is a business. Music is a passion. Or ought to be. And and the interface, I mean, one of the things that made PLR great for that first decade 
um, was the fact that the interface of music and business was perfect. Um, the business types were, and promotion types, like Dick Colt, for instance, were amazing and brilliant characters. And for the most part, they left the program of the music to the inmates at the asylum. And that's, and that's the way radio was at Progressive or whatever PLR was. PLR was not progressive like HCN. That's why PLR is celebrating its 50th anniversary and HCN is not. Um, because HCN understood the art part and came to the business part too late. Um, but PLR always had business sense and, and just allowed the inmates to run amok for a while. And, uh, and on top of that, and this is, this is like one of the cores of the story, you know, the times are absolutely essential. Um, you could not recreate that situation now, not in radio, not with music, not with this audience for a lot of reasons. Because, you know, I mean, we're talking about the, uh, you know, the growth of the baby boom. We're talking about people who were just coming into their own in terms of having disposable income. Um, I mean, one of the things we did in PLR in the early days was to sell the technology to listen to the radio. We sold FM, you know, uh, adapters with, you know, alligator clips that, you, you know, you put on the, on the wires in your VW. Because, you know, none of our core audience had money to buy new cars and therefore didn't have FM radios. So with an FM adapter, you could listen. It didn't sound all that good, but the signal was there. Um, and so it was all about the growth. It was growth like with Jim Coplick. The, the concert business was just becoming something. With Bob stores, selling jeans and boots turned out to be a good business to be in. With Subway... Selling, you know, Subway sandwiches? Are you kidding me? We didn't. I mean, that was one of the chief parts of my compensation, I think, at PLR. Rolling papers and, and Subway coupons, I think. I, 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 there was some you money. lived on those two things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, so yeah, it was, it was a very special. And the music was, was just. What do you think it was? Just. A sea change, or like uh, it's, energy it's, was in the air. Or? It's the bunny in the in the in the python. It's the at that point the the biggest generation ever, all of whom were really feeling their oats, and and loving music, and and the artists of their same age were really feeling their oats and loving the lifestyle and doing making all those mistakes and, you know, it was just it was very exciting. So I. I you know, I hope and I think that, that, that kids today um, don't try to recreate that because it's not, it's not recreatable. But I know that they're busy creating their own stuff. Um, and I know that the spirit of art and growth and music and stuff is still strong. So it's just it's a matter of media more than anything else, I think. Mm -hmm. How do you get back to PLR? Oh, uh, spent a couple of years at HCN um, through the Abrams Superstars thing, which was a blot on creative radio. Um, went to Hawaii to put on the first uh, rock and roll radio station, format rock and roll radio station in Hawaii. The day that I, day before, one day before I left Hartford, I got a call saying, hope you're still on. Yeah, yeah, I'm still, yeah, but a lot of my stuff is already 
on a freighter, I think, you know. It's just been one change. Um, WKTU in New York just had a 13 share uh, with disco. It's 1978. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and so I did have a day. Some, some of our other folks didn't have that much time to react. And I was offered a gig doing mornings in Pittsburgh. Turned out to be the gig from one of the other jocks who was going to Hawaii. And I just put Hawaii and Pittsburgh in the scale, and somehow I can turn down the monitor. And that was a, another lesson, because mm-hmm. I'd never turned down the monitor before. <laughs> and we added as much Boz Skaggs and Steely Dan as we could. Right. So yeah. that was, it was a marvelous experience. Um, the station was brokered, sold, disappeared. Um, Kathleen and I, you know, were smart enough. We, they paid our way. They paid for my car to move. They paid for, you know, not the whole record collection, but a few hundred records. And they, they were really good about getting us there. And I knew that the hook was going to be getting back and that we should probably, um, you know, bank an airline ticket or two to get back. We did. Because, you know, if you're looking for a job in radio, a major roadblock would be, oh, yeah, but by the way, <clears throat> I'm going to need uh, airfare from Honolulu. If the, you know. um, so, so, you know, but I had, again, Joe from Chicago, Joe Piazic, you'll remember him from the PLR days, mm-hmm. was running a station called WPIX in New York. Ah, yes. Yeah. One or two. I called him and said, I'm through with rock and roll. I'm not going to do disco. Um, I want to do jazz. Uh Tell me about BGO. You Did know? you really want to do jazz? I love jazz. Yeah. I love jazz. And I just, I was looking, I was, I was more and more an adult at that point. And he said, you don't, want to, you don't want to do jazz. No, I'm doing this cool thing at PIX. It's, we're sticking our finger in the eye of NEW. You know, it's part of the Tribune company. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> we were eventually, you know, Marched out of the studio, and, and our, our promo pictures were, were at the desk, right near the big swirling globe in the Daily News building, saying, under no circumstances shall these persons be allowed to re-enter the building. Because they thought we were going to bring, like, this, you know, this, 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 this marching group of unwashed from below 14th Street with all of our punk... We, but during the time we were there... We had the plasmatics on 42nd Street doing a show on a flatbed uh, at lunch hour. I mean, oh, God, it was the best station ever. Sorry. So, and it died. Yeah. And then I came to New, uh, back to New Haven. And then we're back back at PLR. Yeah. Uh, I was program director. For a long time, right? Yeah, not a long time. I got fired. <laughs> That's the way all my I radio stories. I don't want to, I know, I don't, I don't want to cheat the trajectory here, but... <laughs> How do you, how do you maintain your sense of self when you're constantly being told this isn't? Well, I don't want you. I'm always fired by for cause. I mean, I believe in what I do. I believe in the music I'm playing. I believe in you know. So, if this is the way this turns out, that's the deal. Listen, I'm also a poker player, and I know you can have the best starting hand in the world. You can have aces face down. And it can go seriously wrong as soon as the flop hits the felt. So you make your decisions, you take your chances. And, you know, that first firing that we mentioned seems like hours ago, you know, that scarred me. But it also made me stronger. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, I can't be in this business 
and and take it personally if if someone says I don't like what you do. In and actually, going forward from that, I mean, my my real professional career is in voiceovers, and in that case, you are hired and fired for every gig. It's a very short term situation. It was perfect for me. I was built for this. How? When did that come into the? After the second PLR firing, a wonderful saint named Donna Goodman, who was a salesperson there, um, said, listen, um, my friend Kenny uh, does the advertising for Bob Stores. And at that point, Bob Stores had a, their main store on, uh, in Middletown on Main Street and a couple of other stores. That's where they, I got all my jeans They wanted up. The fabulous jean machine. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. You probably went to Hamden. No, no, I grew up in central Connecticut, so okay. I went there again. All right, fine. Yeah. So and and they were just on the grow. And 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 Kenny wanted a voice. Now I'd worked for Ken in the past just at the various stations I was at, and typically I would be paid with like, you know, fry boots. You know, again, it you know, it's rolling papers, subway, fry boots. So, um you know, and I said, "Okay, okay, if he wants to, I mean, you know, in the past, they had jingles, you know, looking good isn't spending more, looking good at but, and then the announcer would come on and say, "Get your fry boots." Yeah. And so, at whatever station I was at, I was the one they wanted to do it, and I'd get boots. That was my the beginning of my understanding of the advertising world. It evolved. Um, but when Donna said, "You know, no, no, they they're thinking about having a voice for all their stores." I mean, for all of their radio stations, and they're planning to have many more stores. And eventually, we got to over forty, I think. Uh, and then it sort of they sold it to Marshalls, and it shrank, and blah blah blah. I was, but I, they were they were my first big time account. I did all of their audio for um, a quarter of a century in my studio in North Haven. I started out in East Haven in a little attic. I had to time the sessions out with the planes landing at Tweed, New Haven. Um, but then, but it was a nice little business and now, you know, and, and so that was my introduction to, um, commercials. Um, and it gave me a reel and that reel got me work in New York. And, and then I found out, oh, people get more than rolling papers, subway coupons and boots. What? Pension? Money? Really? Pension from voiceover work? If you're a union man, Ooh. all the way. Wow. Hell yeah. Yeah. SAG and AFTRA. Thank you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's how come I can do this. That's, that's you know, I mean, okay. I could live on Social Security, I suppose. But no. So, yeah. Did it and, seem like a fight the whole time? It seems like no. you're fighting for survival. No, it's great fun for you. Yes. It's a hoot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what it is. It's just, I mean... Because, okay, what are we fighting about? We're fighting about whether or not we should play the Ramones. I mean, you know, that was an issue. They were so, I, this is before your time, but they were very dangerous. The Ramones were very dangerous. They'll throw up on the console board, right? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, oh God. And, you know, my second, my second term at PLR was an interesting time, um, 79, uh, 1980 to 83-ish, um, because... MTV came on the scene. And all of a sudden, because 
the folks in Britain were the ones making music videos largely. All of a sudden, a lot of what was on MTV was, you know, XTC and I mean, like that. So that was being added to the station that had played Marshall Tucker Band and like and Willie Dixon and, you know, I mean, it, Allman Brothers and that kind of stuff. So it was a little bit of a shock um, to all of a sudden have synthesizers, to have music that was not disco, but dancey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I think we shed a bunch of listeners in that in that time. I'm pretty sure we did. As yeah, it was a rough time. No, it was a great time. Oh, Come okay. on, man. I mean, for music, like, you know. I <laughs> yeah, mean, no, it was like who that. are yeah. we? Yeah. I mean, who? Yeah. Well, what is this? You know, listen, disco or punk or whatever, it's just a style. It's right. That's all yeah. it is. Yes, yeah. And, you know, and it's almost always, I mean, you, you, eventually you wander into a place where, and this is the thing that pisses me off, you know, the the, the formula takes over. Uh, that can happen in music, can happen in writing, can happen in movies, certainly happened in radio repeatedly, where um, we know the 300 best songs of all time. And so why play anything else? We'll just play those over and over again. They're the best songs. You'll never get tired of them, mm-hmm. you know? And that's that's the big disease. And there's no... I there's, so that, so that's that goes back to why I get fired. There is no beating that. Mm-hmm. It's like Trumpism. You you can rail against stupidity all you want, but it's powerful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, but so is positive energy. So is oh, good thinking. Yes. So is you know, and that is what beats it out. Time and time again, yes, I, I, I feel uh, absolutely on yeah. a personal level. But I'm just saying, you know, you can, you know, if 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 it is if it, if it if it is really just a, a blood fight with with the forces of power and evil, you know, you've got to be cagey. You can you can't go right up against it because they'll that's right they'll crush you. You know, yeah. and if you can't have fun doing it, if Emerson, Emerson, right here, be silly, be honest, be kind. Those are the only rules you need. He's pointing to a note that's on his desk, written today. Yeah, I've got a grandson now, and um, and you know, I, I, I'm, I realize I'm not going to be here forever. Now, this is another new thought, and um, you know, actually, I was I was sort of good with it for a while. Um, and now, in talking to doctors, I'm saying, listen, things have changed. I'm now thinking about living forever. Is there anything we can do to fix all the bad stuff I've done to myself? Yeah. Uh, they shake their heads, but they say, you know, nice try. Um, so I figure, okay, I gotta, I gotta start, you know, I gotta start getting my quote wisdom unquote, you know, down on paper mm-hmm. or on tape for for Jack because Jack's gonna need it That's... because he's gonna run into a lot of idiots. Just a fact, mm-hmm. you know. Um, <laughs> Where were we? Back to the that nugget of New Haven felt like. Mm kind of this explosion of you had the record stores, you had Toad's Place, you had Jimmy Coplick, you had PLR. Did it seem that like then like anything was possible? That's when I think great things happen is when the obstructionists are kind of sidelined somehow because it's unstoppable. Right. If you've got the advertisers, you've got everything feeding everything. Yeah, the word is synergy. And what we had was all of this stuff working hand in hand. Um, you know, the fact that an artist was coming by Toad's Place was almost a given, given the fact that the PLR was at 1294 Chapel, just around the corner. 
um, that artist was going to be at, at PLR to hang with the jocks and talk. And that wasn't, that wasn't a paid-for deal. That was not, you know, it wasn't like you can come to the studio, but we're going to need dough. No. Touring artists need something to do. It's very boring. Well, yeah. And and <laughs> most radio stations do not invite them any longer into their right. because, you know, they may not be playing that music any longer. We we don't, you know. So that time, you know, the 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 the, the you know, the restrictions were off at PLR. Toad's Place was booking these amazing acts. I mean, it just looked that book. Holy cow. Yeah. The people that played there uh and I, you know, I spent a, a lot of time there. At Toads, because like I said, it was just a block and a half away. And even uh, after they moved to Hamden, PLR, then we had a direct line to the station. So we had zillions of concerts, you know, broadcast live out of Toads Place. It was just magical. It was magical. And that was not just the 70s. It was the 70s and 80s. It was, you know, it, it was a special time. Yeah. Well, I was organizing in Syracuse for the Syracuse Peace Council. This is before I got here. And David Easter was my boss, and um, he had come from New Haven. And he said, "Oh man, you're going to love New Haven." I just and and uh, and I got here. My I stepped off the bus after getting off the train, because um, I was I was looking for a gig. I got to find my own gig. I had, the draft board had to approve it, but I didn't want to work in New York City because I was Freddie scared. I was just this you know this nebbish from Syracuse. <laughs> But I knew I wanted to be proximate to New York, you know. So I sort of worked out, worked out the Hudson and worked out the New Haven line and found that Children's Center is the right place and the right people. And just uh, it was just a wonderful experience. Got off the bus and they were ringing the moratorium bell. This goes back to the anti-war days when we were ringing the bell for the dead. And um, and that escalated to, you know, the SEAL trial and the student student strike and what a vital, you know, and, and live music with the, you know, I mean, just, oh, man, it was magical from start. Mm-hmm. I've been here ever since, been in New Haven's environs ever since. I live in Brantford. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't live in New Haven. God, look at that view. That's beautiful. See, yeah, that was my, when we moved out of my, because I had a subterranean studio during the Bob's days, subterranean studio with just a little sort of, Iranian jail cell light source from <laughs> underneath the deck. So you could tell if it was day or night, but that was it. Um, but it was nicely soundproofed and not like this studio. But I said when we were downsizing, you know, the one thing I want in my studio is to be able to see moving water. And so that's why we have it here. Yeah, amazing. That's just delightful. Up in the clouds here. And I want to dispel the thing that, I mean, Frank, you had Frank on the other day. Frank made me seem awfully wispy i mean the, the the pull quote that i remember is and he likes birds well t- okay fine i do i've got a pair of osprey here every you know that i'm, I'm a audubon steward that i want mm-hmm. does that make me a, a wispy person no he mentioned the word zen and i see the zen <laughs> book over there it's very important what role did when did you find that what role does it play in your life well, I meditate, um, and I try to keep on an even keel about everything. And I mean, you know, this is just a tool, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, I love it, and it helps with poker <laughs> and getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how did the local band show 
start. Ah, during one of the one of my periods of not being at PLR, because um, I, I I explain to people that I'm like a big holy piece of cheddar. I spread over pretty much the entire fifty years of WPLR, but there are big chunks where I'm not there. You know, um, my buddy John Griffin, uh, more notably known as the Wigmaster was a program director during the glory years before Cox came in. And sorry if there are any Cox people out there in the audience, but the company sucks. Anyhow, um, and, uh, and, and he, he ran such a remarkable radio station, go, hewing back to when things were possible. This is, this is in the mid-'80s to beyond. And for some reason or other, he he knew, I mean, my friend James Velvet and I, <coughs> we're, you know, very much alike in a lot of ways, both, you know, 6'4", both sort of lumbering beasts. Um, but James is an actual talented cat, and I'm, you know, me. So, you know, we, we were talking, James had this song called Relax, Take Off Your Slacks from the New Haven Radiators. Um, he had to change the name because apparently there's a band in New Orleans, but. And I said, James, that song, that's a theme to a radio show. And that was kind of the beginning of the show. At the same time, our friend John Griffin said, you know, you guys know a lot about what's happening locally. You, wanted, you want some time? Want an hour? James and I looked at each other and said, eh, hour. Mm. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure we can bear an hour. Um, half hour? Yes. So that was 34 years ago. And the show's been going on. Um, James, James was a towering cat. I don't, did you ever meet him? No. I mean, I mean, you know, you talk to anybody in the local scene who's been around for a while and they have a James story. Just a wonderful, wonderful man with a bunch of mysteriously avian entitled bands. We're not exactly sure. He liked birds. He really liked birds. He liked birds too. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and James and I did the show for years, uh, we revisit history every Sunday on Cygnus. Oh, I can I can turn this into a promotional Ooh, event. Yeah. Uh, with the local archives, we go back into the history. Uh, the history that I have, as it turns out, the first decade is in a landfill somewhere. Oh, no. Fool that I am. How did you pitch it to PLR? We didn't pitch it. It was John Griffin. It was so mar- he said go. Marijuana involved, I'm See? sure. See, right. You know, who knows? Yeah, good idea. Let's do it. Ah. It just, you know, it just amazes me that it still exists. <laughs> I, I don't you? mean I, well. No, it still exists. You know, after yeah, Clear Channel. That's all I can hmm. think about. Clear with Channel radio. was only there briefly. I just mean the it, whole Clear Channel. We went thing. through. We went through a number of different owners and managements, and the show was actually canceled for a brief period of time. But the program director. Uh, Scott, I don't know his last name, but bless you, Scott, wherever you are, um, fought for us, kept the, kept kept replaying the same show <laughs> while negotiations continued. PLR was inundated with, you know, uh, messages of upset from the outer world, and they actually changed their mind. And then we just resumed doing the show merrily. Um, we did the show through a couple of heart operations for James. Wow. Uh, the final one he did not return from. Um, and that's how Frank got here. Um, and 
Frank won't say this, but I will. Frank, it, 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 you know, Frank and James are absolutely cut from the same cloth. Okay, Frank is a smaller portion of that same cloth, substantially. He's a shorter fellow. But not both, in platform heels. No, <laughs> I haven't seen him in his glam day. But 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 you know they both had the same sort of feeling for the local community. Um, they were both um, supporters of producers of music. In um, they both did coffee houses and shows and promoted. And so when James died and we, you know, I got together with Nancy Lee and Johnny Java and small circle of friends, it was sort of determined that James would have the show go on. Um, and um, so it became my problem to find someone to sit in that chair. Um, and uh, Frank came on and and helped me put together probably the hardest show I've ever had to put together, which was basically Farewell to James. And he did a brilliant job. And it was obvious to me at that point given all they shared in terms of their love for the local community and their love for music and their own musical talents and whatnot, that this was just meant to be. And so, you know, Frank is here, and we continue on into our 35th year. Go figure. Yeah. I mean, my introduction to James was Big Fat Combo doing I Got a Shirt. Sure. Numerous times seen him live. <laughs> and amazing song. Mm-hmm. And then... When he when he passed, the multi generational tributes. I mean, I remember Alex Burnett saying, "Like, I played in the round with him, and it made me go on as a songwriter." And and, and yeah. everybody has that story. Yes, with him. Yes, incredibly important character. Yeah, you know, just just the you know this the. The lead motif, the, the 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 string that runs through the entire local scene, and just just and, a, and also a wonderful human being. So yeah, yeah, his picture's right over there. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um. So then you know it's it's PLR. Yeah. And are you kind another of another firing pinballing around? <laughs> yeah. Smith and Barber leave for Florida. I fill in for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But I've already started working in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's that, serious or what? Not at first, no. Yeah. Going in for auditions, and yeah. uh, that was that was every day on the train in auditions. Yeah. Wow, damn. Yeah, yeah auditions yeah, yeah, yeah. at casting houses with other announcers. Yeah. It was it was so it was wonderful. Yeah. All these, you know, um, it's like it's like the union hall just sort of popped up at different casting houses, mm-hmm. and yeah. just these wonderful goofballs. I mean, you know, the names that you know and voices that just are inside you, you may not know them, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, what a wonderful life it was. And it, you know, and then um, Meg Griffin, who had, I worked with at, at, at PIX, was hired on at Sirius in the early days, and she called me. And um, so we, we worked together on what it was originally E17, then eclectic, it eventually turned into serious disorder, and serious disorder still continues with Meg on uh, the weekend. Meg is one of the great disc jockeys ever; she's just tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, it was a very exciting time. So I'd go in, and it was all voice-tracked. I mean, part of the reason I do this show live is sort of a, you know, a rejection of the voice-track thing. I, reje- I have friends who do the voice-track thing and on Sirius, and um, I'm glad for the paycheck that they get, but it is not at, at all the same as a live show where you're feeling, thinking. When you're feeling the music, you can't yeah. feel the music. I, yeah. You know, I mean, that was one of the things we could do was to listen to the intro and outro of the songs and sort of summing up the thing but that wasn't the big thing that turned me off I did a show on um, on September 10th 2001 mm-hmm. um, noting the beautiful view from the Sirius studios of the Twin Towers gleaming in the distance and looking south in Manhattan Island fortunately that show never aired on the 11th because they everything went you know and also at that point the only people listening to Sirius were the techs who were involved uh, involved in putting up um, translators on the top of buildings because it was brandy new. We actually were we gathered together to watch the satellites blast off. So, you know. But it was very it was exciting for that. And again, I was in a position like with the FM converters of selling another technology in order to listen to our thing. Right. You know. Yeah. So, so I would do that in the morning. I'd do th- two or three shows. And then go off on my merry way, you know, doing auditions and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that was life. And Rick Allison is not using any voice modulators. You have this kind of resonating bass tone. I'm sure other people have talked about it. You know, it's got to be at some universal pitch. It's very comforting. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, one of the reasons that, you know, I got involved in it was this girl called Mary. She was not my girlfriend. She was the girlfriend of one of... Uh, the Stevens boys who lived down the street. And uh, and I was, I don't know, 14. And she said, oh, I like your voice. <laughs> no, well, How many musicians say that, that it's, you know, they pick up a guitar and then... Yeah, it's the feedback. The female man. attention, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, then... So I, that's part of it for you, is, is sure. the validation. The, the, yeah. I mean, you go into a club, people slapping you on the back. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if I could, I would not be visible. Yeah. Well, I'm you, not, we discussed before. You're not. You're not out a lot. So. No. And and when I am, I just assume not be visible. It's not that I don't like people. It's just I like I, I like the fly in the wall thing is nice. Mm-hmm. But I show up every once in a while. I just don't want people thinking, oh, this must be really important because he's here. No, it's just because I happen to be here that day. There's no Formula One racing, or I'm not in a poker match, or you know. There's some other reason that I actually have time to sit down. Mm-hmm. Or like Joe Flood has put out an amazing album, you know, you go. or Al Anderson is yeah. here. Yeah. Really? Al? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. How do you keep sane amongst the uh, <laughs> substances and the. Well, by making most of them go away. I mean, you know. You did that at a certain point, I guess. I mean, you made them there go are... away at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I you know, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. I mean, there, the only one that could have killed me, and it came at a particularly bad time, was cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the power of 80s radio, for mm-hmm. sure. That was the fuel. Mm-hmm. And I was program director, I was doing the morning show, and I was going to Joe's place. So something had to, you know. Power you through, yeah. Um, and just as the... Crack epidemic was beginning. 
I was starting to make actual money in New York. And before that, uh, I, I quit. Um, and if that did not happen, I could easily have killed myself because mm-hmm. I had plenty of money and they had plenty of product. And it's, it's, it's the worst, well, for me, it's the worst drug of all. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I've never ended downers anyhow, but, but yeah, I mean, so, but, but other stuff, I, you know, I still, I mean, look at, look at us. Well, you know, you can, you can buy marijuana legally. You can exactly, smoke it yes, yeah, legally yeah. and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I would say the same thing for psilocybin, but that's just me, but that's it for me. I mean, I don't know. Eh, and beer. You're still taking mushrooms though? <laughs> Every once in a while? Tune it up? Yeah. Wow. Oh, come on. Yeah. Well, that's... That's connecting with that's the not, earth. Yeah, no, please. That's yeah. absolutely not... You know, that's... Yeah, that that won't kill you. No. And uh, what are we discussing in Connecticut? It's going to be a long time before it happens, but they're discussing the possibility of therapeutic psilocybin. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I know people it's worked wonders for. Yeah. Bad acid, not a good thing. Yeah. Heroin, awful. Yeah. Fentanyl will kill you. Yeah. Co- imagine doing cocaine now. And not knowing if in that cocaine, someone had decided, well, let's give them an extra kick. No, 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 no. I've known friends of friends who've yeah. died that way. It's not, not good. It's not the way to go. No. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, again, you know, uh, these are the mistakes one makes as well, one yes. becomes more of And so, advice for young people. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I mean, I know I this got- whole interview has been that, but, you know. Oh no! I, I got no advice, man. Just love music and and feel the power of music. The oh God, you know, and don't listen. I mean, listen. I, I do what's you know mostly an oldie show on on Cygnus. The transmission. I mean, I I play some new stuff, but even the new stuff, you know, it's like it's like uh, you know McMurtry, for instance. Okay, he's an Americana singer. He could have been in 1975, but he's in. So so it's oldies music. Okay, and don't let the old people tell you what to listen to or how to groove. Never, ever, ever. No. No. You've got to invent your own groove, you know, and um, and not have anybody, you know, throttle it back. Music's powerful, man. It's the best. Amen. Yeah. We done here? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Thanks, Rick. Oh, man. That was fun. <laughs>